Welcome to Forever White Belt. I'm your host, Adolfo Ferranda. Today on the show, I have Sunshine, a.k.a. Jonathan Fennell. You may know Sunshine as being one of the most famous ukes in jiu-jitsu from his appearances in Jiu-Jitsu X Instructionals. Sunshine currently holds the rank of brown belt under Keenan Cornelius. He's also been active as a competitor, meddling at many local and regional competitions. Sunshine spent most of his time dedicated to learning not only Keenan's style of jiu-jitsu, but also as a teacher at Legion, while also working on Jiu-Jitsu X. Just a reminder to please give us a five-star review on Apple Music and Spotify, and share this podcast with a friend. It really helps us out. Please leave us feedback and suggestions on how we can improve the show, and become a VIP member for only 99 cents a month. Yes, less than a dollar. Get ad-free episodes at anchor.fm forward slash forever white belt forward slash subscribe. Like us on Facebook and TikTok at forever white belt and check us out on Instagram at forever white belt show. Go buy your forever white belt swag at teespring, T-E-E spring.com forward slash forever dash white dash belt. Check us out on YouTube now at forever white belt. Finally, if you ever get to beautiful Northern California, please come roll with us at North Bay Jiu Jitsu in Marin County, just north of San Francisco. They're amazing instructors, and everyone there are great people. Mention the podcast and get two weeks free. And with that, I give you Sunshine. Sunshine, welcome to the show, man. Thank you. Awesome to be here. So you are a brown belt under Keenan Cornelius, correct? That is correct. And you train and teach out of Legion Jiu-Jitsu. Yes. But where in Southern California is it? It's in San Diego. You have an interesting background because there's very few of you that I meet that start in Japanese jiu-jitsu. And mm-hmm. you did this in South Carolina, correct? Yes, that's correct. What was Japanese jiu-jitsu like versus modern jiu-jitsu now? Right, yeah. So essentially, the place that I first started training, uh, I started training under this guy who was in the Air Force. And for a brief period of time, he was stationed in Japan. And then that was where he learned like jiu-jitsu there and also things like Aikido, karate, all sorts of different martial arts. And so when I started learning from him, basically the main difference I would say is that we didn't really do a ton of like open guard and things like that. There's a lot of crossover like side control, mount, the back and things like that. But as far as the guard goes, we pretty much just did like closed guard, half guard, and that was it. So that was probably my first two years of training was just uh, that kind of, it was like just super basic, really. That's interesting. So this was when you were like 15 or something, correct? Exactly. Yeah. I started jujitsu when I was a sophomore in high school. So I was like 15 going on 16. And yeah, did that for like the first two years. And then then eventually that guy, he uh, became affiliated with an actual Brazilian jiu-jitsu program and started Mm -hmm. like learning, expanding his knowledge. I think now back in that gym, they do do like open guard and like more modern techniques and stuff. Mm -hmm. So it's more of like a regular Brazilian jiu-jitsu gym. But yeah, for, for the first few years of my training career, it was pretty basic jiu-jitsu stuff. Let's talk about Legion a little bit. You're one of the early people there, correct? It seems right. Like. Yeah, I was, I'm pretty, I think I was the first person to actually compete under the Legion banner um, just wow. because technically Keenan uh, like filed for the affiliation under the IBJJF, I think before it was actually a gym. So yeah, essentially 
I'm sure you heard about the whole like split between Keenan and Atos. And so Keenan, even before that happened, I think he had in the back of his mind, he wanted to start prepping to open his own gym. And so since I was already working for him full time doing Keenan online back in the day, he told me about it. And so, yeah, in between that transition of like leaving Atos, starting Legion, I was like already working for him full time. So helped start the gym from the beginning. We like, yeah, put the mats down, built the facility out. So were you at Atos then before? What was your transition? I was, yeah. So when I left South Carolina and moved here, Autos was where I signed up just because I knew uh, I knew Dominique Bell and mm-hmm. Heather Morgan. They also came from South Carolina. And I was also, even before I had met Keenan in person, I was like just a fan of his, like watching him compete. So the fact uh, that I knew Dom and Heather and was a fan of Keenan, those are like the main reasons why I uh, moved out and started training Autos. And that was how I met Keenan. I was training there and uh, yeah, living that broke jujitsu lifestyle. And uh, <laughs> he, he noticed I needed some help and uh, offered me a job working for Keenan online. And that was how that got started. So were you doing Keenan online or what, what were you waitering and doing other gigs or what? Yeah, I was That's doing some other part-time stuff, like working at like grocery stores. And then because uh, I think when I moved out here, I was like 19 or something. Uh, essentially, as soon as I graduated high school, I moved out of my parents' place, just started working enough to save up enough money to move out here. And then as soon as I moved out here, being like a fresh high school graduate, didn't go to college or anything. So I just got whatever job I could. I worked so many different jobs, like I uh, worked at like Chipotle, a couple of different like juice bars and the Hagen Dawes. I think that was where I was working when I first started working at Keen Online was an ice cream shop, Hagen Dawes. And then so I was doing part-time gigs like that until eventually I started working at Keenan Online and that definitely helped a lot. And then once Legion opened and Jiu-Jitsu X and all that stuff, then I pretty much transitioned to making full-time income from Jiu-Jitsu related activities. How long has Legion been open now? At this point, we opened towards the end of 29th. That's been about three years. About three years-ish. Wow. Mm -hmm. So Legion's still relatively young. That's that's amazing with all the waves they've made. And there's like a ton of students there now, it looks like too, right? Yeah, we got a couple hundred students there. And yeah, we opened up literally a few months before the lockdowns from COVID and all that stuff happened. Mm -hmm. We opened for a few months. And at that time as well, we were only doing adult classes before COVID. And COVID happened, shut us down for a while. Of course, throughout that transition, um, Legion lost a ton of members. But then we opened back up, opened up a kids program. And so now we have thankfully more members than we did before. So yeah, Legion is steadily growing. And for those that don't know, like Southern California and California in general, real estate was traditionally is probably by national average, super expensive. And it looks like you guys have a massive facility by California standards. Exactly. Yeah, it is pretty big. And you're definitely right about the cost. It is pretty expensive. And yet part of what kind of helps subsidize that is, you know, doing like the video work that we do, all the using that space to create all the online content, as well as like the brick and mortar gym location. So kind of like uh, hitting two birds with one stone helps with that for sure. 
That was so cool to see Keenan and yourself building it. I remember some early videos of where he was installing like these dreamy like judo mats or something like that, where you guys have the padding underneath the padding uh, or the mat yeah. and uh, showing the falling on it and stuff. And I'm like, oh, wow, that looks great. Yeah, we're definitely spoiled with our mats for sure, especially like that that old school gym I started at. We we just had like the, the puzzle mats on the ground. I'm sure right. anyone who's trained on those knows the uh, <laughs> what that feels like. How has the culture of Legion evolved from the opening day to sort of the COVID closures back opening again? For sure. I would say, especially with the whole American jiu-jitsu kind of branding, the, the main difference I would say there is the culture itself. Legion, I would say, is run more of like a sports club kind of rather than like a traditional school. And so um, like super relaxed in terms of like rules, uniform, that kind of thing. Like we still have important rules such as if you're off the mats, wear shoes, on the mats, no shoes, like simple stuff like that. But then I would say the big key differences is like we don't really care if anyone shows up to class a few minutes late or if anyone has to leave early we're not going to give them a hard time anything like that and a real important thing as well is Keenan's put a lot of effort into making sure that like he's not the sole like face of the gym and that the gym doesn't revolve around him so he's Mm -hmm. done a good job of like elevating like all of the instructors at the gym as a whole so it's like and you know we have like a weekly meeting between all the instructors as well so rather than it feeling like a monarchy that's like running the gym of like one person's in charge. We all all have to do what this person says, no matter what. It feels more of like a democracy where, you know, like all the instructors, regardless of belt level or experience, whatever, everyone has like an equal say. And then we take input from the members as well. And we consider that super valuable. So we're always asking them like for their input and what we can do to better serve them as a gym, you know, and that's kind of like the big difference I would say is we're trying to really own like the service part of of like, I guess you could think of being a gym as being in the service industry. We're here to, you know, serve the customers, make sure they're having fun, they're staying safe. And so we prioritize that over everything else, I would say. That's interesting because that sounds like a mission, you know, like yeah. a, a mission statement. And right. it's fascinating. That is something I've noticed, but I haven't noticed at the same time is how Keenan sort of moved into the background and it's not the Keenan face on the front and that it's like uh, the people like Miha and Andreas and uh, Sloan and yourself and probably exactly. other people that I'm just not aware of. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like uh, a lot of people get surprised by that. Like if they visit, they don't see that Keenan is like teaching all the classes or whatever, but it's like having one person and be the pillar of an establishment like that as pros and cons because obviously Keenan is like super well known in the jiu-jitsu community so having him really like elevate the gym as a whole but also if he's like too much support is coming from him then if he's taken out of the equation everything else starts to fall apart so he, he really wanted to set things up in a way to where that if he wasn't there things could still run like smooth and efficiently. I know that he mentioned before, too, that he's open to this cross-training and things like that. That seems to be sort of like the, the modern mentality, but although I'd be surprised how many academies still do not like that. Right. Yeah, um, yeah. Keenan's super open, even encourages cross-training. He has people from other gyms all the time, like in the local area, come over and do like like wrestling training and stuff. And he's not shy to go and train at other local gyms as well, or even like travel just to train and learn somewhere. Yeah, especially as someone who isn't a competitor and you're trying to get better 
cross training is like such a good way to see different holes in your game just because even though like if you're training with the same people all the time your results that you're getting to determine whether or not you're improving those results are kind of skewed because you know what people in your gym like to do everyone in your gym knows what you like to do so it can be tough to figure out where you stand but cross training and training with people you don't usually train with is almost like going to a tournament Uh, I'm sure you felt like anytime you go to like another school's open mat or whatever like everyone's going hard because no one wants to lose to like a stranger they don't know so it's a really good uh, tool to help progress so Mm. we're all about cross training can we expand on and i've heard this for a few years now the term american jujitsu what does that mean to legion and yourself yeah so like i was talking about earlier for me like the main difference is kind of like the culture like we don't not to say that it's necessarily a bad thing but like we don't have like pictures hanging on the wall like you have to like bow to someone things like that Mm -hmm. and it's like again not to say that's right or wrong Mm because i feel like it's a more nuanced situation than that but in terms of trying to get as many people into jujitsu as possible. Some traditions can make this ex- the experience of trying jujitsu out for the first time seem kind of weird or abrasive. Like look from the outside looking in, certain things might seem even cultish. So a lot of the culture, I would say, and like the things we try to do is just to make the onboarding process of someone who's never trained jujitsu before and trying to get them to fall in love with jujitsu, trying to make that like as smooth as possible. And so again, it's all about the culture, things like we don't make anyone like wear pads or have like a certain uniform policy of any kind of colors like the whole gym itself is like pretty relaxed environment I would say and yeah I would say that's where like the main differences in the American jiu-jitsu come from and then as a whole as well I would say since like jiu-jitsu before in like the 90s and early 2000s like so many of the high level people moved from Brazil to America to try teaching and making more money so I feel like over the years the jiu-jitsu moving to America has put more spotlight on it and so now I would say like more Americans are getting involved, which is adding definitely a lot more like wrestling influence as well. Mm -hmm. I would say that's a huge thing of like American jujitsu is having a lot of good wrestling coming in, especially now that we're seeing that like Nogi is getting more popular as well. I feel like we're starting to see people from other nationalities, not just America, but other places like Europe and Asia as well start to really like blow up in the scene. Can you tell us about some killers that the general BJJ community may not know about that are up and comers at Legion. Yeah, there's a lot of good training partners at Legion. Honestly, there's not a ton of competitors at the moment. Legion is mostly just like hobbyist training at a competitive level. Like all the techniques that we teach and stuff, I would say are valid at the highest level, but most of the practitioners are mostly just hobbyists. But in terms of anyone that people might know of, like all of the instructors in course, especially Andres is kind of like a dark horse in the jujitsu gi community. He has a little bit of a following and especially because like lately he's been out of the competition scene since uh legions opened he's been focusing on more like teaching and training himself mm-hmm. andres bernofskis super good super innovative miha super good at gi and no gi he's a black belt in judo as well as jujitsu Sloan, who everyone calls him the caveman. He's got like his own front headlock system. Mike Salazar is our other main no-gi coach. He's also very good, very tricky at like back takes and stuff. He was also, he does mostly no-gi now, but he was good as well in the gi and competed a lot in the color belts. And I know he had a match with Levi Jones Leary at Purple Belt and he beat him in the gi, which even though that was a long time ago, that was still in my eyes a pretty impressive feat. 
So all the instructors and then like Austin Fraley, he just got his black belt from Keenan and Brayler Grout. He's a, currently a brown belt competing a lot in the, in the Nogi scene. Very good submission oriented grappler. One more guy that I can think of off the top of my head, Sohan Kandadi. He's a purple belt training with us. He's like a lightweight, but he's like 6'1", 6'2". So it's like, wow. yeah, it doesn't really make sense. So rolling with him just from his height alone is a challenge, but he's also very good, very dedicated. What makes a great jujitsu student? Just someone who is consistent, shows up as often as they can, you know, mindful in the technique learning, is asking questions when they aren't sure about something, is act and is willing to put themselves out there and like try the situations that we're trying to learn, even if they may lose in that situation, but is always willing to, you know, put themselves in those tough spots to try to learn from that. And as long as they keep showing up, keep trying their best and are actually making that effort to progress. That, that's kind of what I look for in a student. What are the most common issues that you see like at each belt level? Yeah, I would say across the board, some of the most common things I see is that people, they just show up to train, but they don't really come in with any kind of goal in mind. They just show up and whatever happens, happens. And while there's not necessarily anything wrong with that, especially if jujitsu is like a workout for you and like that's the main benefit you're getting from it is working out, then that's totally fine. But if that's the way you're approaching your training, then essentially that's all you're really doing is you're just working out and I don't really view it as training. Like for for me, I stopped plateauing when I just realized there's certain things I'm good at, there's certain things I'm bad at. So the second I feel like I'm plateauing or I'm not getting better anymore, I just switch my game and force myself to play stuff that I'm terrible at. And so mm -hmm. I come in with every training session, like I want to try to like maintain this position a little bit longer than I can. I want to try doing some sweeps I know, but maybe trying them on the other side today. I would say, yeah, that's kind of the biggest thing I see across all belt levels is just training without having specific goals in mind. And then in terms of like for each belt level, I think at white belt, your first goal should just be try to learn how to survive as long as possible, learn how to be uncomfortable or learn how to be comfortable in these uncomfortable situations, not freak out when someone is like smothering your face. Just try to focus on like recognizing when you're in these basic positions that are being taught to you, like recognize in live sparring when someone puts you in side control or mount or a certain kind of guard, things like that. And then after a few months of that, when someone progresses to blue belt, I think something to, good to focus on is now start trying to try pretty much as much as possible in jujitsu. Just really try to like put yourself out there as much as possible. Try to experience the full gambit of positions. Try stand up, try passing, try all the different guards that you can. And then from there at purple belt, maybe now that you've tried a lot of different positions, you, you should have some kind of idea of like what you're more good at, what you're not so good at then try to focus on those areas like try to make your purple belt try to make like your a game super sharp that no matter who steps into the onto the mats that day you know if you get them into your best position you should be able to like threaten them a little bit and then also working on like your weakest areas because uh you're only as good as like your your weakest spot so kind of attacking it from both ends there working on your best positions and also working on your worst positions to make you more well-rounded overall. Mm -hmm. And yeah, kind of at brown belt now, I'm looking to do kind of all those things together. There's like the, what is it called? Like the Donning-Kruger effect, I think, where like people in the beginning, when they first learn something, they think they're really smart. They know a lot. But then like the more you learn, you realize the less you know. <laughs> 
in brown belt, I've gotten to this point where like, I thought I was good, but then I kind of realized that, you know, there's still so much I don't know. So I'm kind of going through that whole cycle again of really like brushing up on my fundamentals, like close guard, things like that. And then trying to connect those spaces and make my game as well-rounded as possible. You're one of the most famous ukes out there right now with Jiu-Jitsu X. What makes a great uke? And can you explain to the listener who doesn't even know what an uke is, what an uke is too? Right. Yeah. So uke is Japanese for someone who receives. So there's like uke and then tori, I believe, is the other name of like the someone who who's doing the action. So essentially an uke is just someone who is being used to demonstrate a technique to someone. And yeah, that's a, a great question because so many people are at terrible at being ukes because you just have to realize like a lot of jujitsu techniques are kind of reaction based so if the person you're trying to do the move to doesn't give you the reaction where this move exists then it's like you can't even practice the move so when someone is trying to move on you you want to move the way you would in a normal role but just with like zero strength zero speed like not really resisting at all but still acting like a live human being like if someone is going to off balance you are you going to adjust your foot step out so you can maintain your base or are you just going to let them kick you and then you just completely fall over it's like if someone were to do this technique then i would probably correct my base i'm not just going to fall over so it's like little things like that are what make a good uke just knowing how to move without adding resistance i would say when, when it's not necessary there's like sometimes when you when you're drilling and, and a move needs a little bit of resistance where it's like i push into them they push back and then we can do that move so yeah, part of it too is like as someone demonstrating a technique when something requires a specific action, you also have to communicate with the uke, be like, this is what I'm teaching. And then it kind of like outlined for them, like, this is the reaction I want from you. Because also like if the person you're doing it to has never seen the move or they don't know, then you, you can't expect them to react the way you need them to. So it goes both ways. Commun communication on the part of the person teaching the technique, especially like in a class setting, sometimes I'll like take my uke to the side ahead of time and be like, hey, this is the move we're going to work. This is what I want you to do to show everyone. And then as the uke, learning how to like move your body the way you normally would, just without any like strength or anything like that no resistance you've seen like some of the best teachers in the world um what makes a great instructor to you a great instructor is anyone who like has an idea in their head and can communicate that in a way that someone else can absorb and actually implement the technique even if they don't necessarily think the way that you do so I saw a quote the other day. It was like, as a teacher, if the way you're teaching someone, if it's not working and like they're not actually retaining the information, then it's not up to them to like change the way they learn to try to accommodate your teaching style. It's up to you to change your teaching style to accommodate the way this person's learned. And so mm -hmm. the greatest instructors are just people who, and instructing like anything else is a skill that needs to be practiced, but it's all about just being able to articulate your ideas in a way that anyone can absorb them and implement themselves. Improving your mobility and recovery will only benefit your BJJ. And as such, we highly recommend you try Yoga for BJJ at yogaforbjj.net. Use our code FWB, all uppercase FWB, to get 20% off your subscription, yogaforbjj.net. What is Jiu-Jitsu X? Yeah, so Jiu-Jitsu X currently is 
it's a, an instructional platform. So we have kind of two different ways that we do it. One way is we bring people out into the studio. We film an instructional with them that we upload to the site. And Jiu-Jitsu X has like, we break it down where it's kind of like video by video rather than getting like one long video of the entire instructional. It's kind of like a instructional platform online. So it like gives you like a description about the course, like breaks down the techniques into individual videos, things like that. And there's also like a section where people don't have to come in to upload their own videos. We can, we have like a, a section where people can essentially film themselves from home and then upload a course remotely. And we're, yeah, working on adding like some social media features as well. Like there's a little bit of like a chat where different members can communicate amongst themselves. And we also have like a Q&A section where potentially the customers can like ask the instructor questions through the website. And they're looking to add like, as time goes on, more features to make the platform as engaging and as educational as possible. But yeah, I would say it's primarily like an educational resource to learn jujitsu online. I remember when the lapel encyclopedia first came out, it was sort of this standalone separate thing. And then it got incorporated into Jiu-Jitsu X. Can you talk about the evolution of Jiu-Jitsu X since you were there? What were like the missteps and how did you even learn to do all this stuff going from Hagen dazs to here, you know? Right. Yeah, it's a great question. So essentially... Everything I've learned from the most part, or at least the beginning of everything that I learned, I learned from Keenan back when we were doing Keenan online. So back then it was just mm. pretty much me, Keenan, and Miha. And what we would do is Keenan had like uh, like a little studio set up in his garage. So he basically he had like a DSR camera or DSLR. I forget the exact terminology. So he pretty much showed me how to use the camera, showed me how to put that into an editing software, how to like chop it up edit it, put it on a website, all that good stuff. And then Miha was doing kind of the the big brain administrative side of things like marketing, advertising, that kind of stuff. So he showed me how to do all that. And then yeah, Keenan is very innovative, very smart. He's very good at knowing what he's good at. And then knowing when to hire someone else to do Mm. something that he's not good at. And Mm. so that was kind of like as the business grew. And then again, Keno was kind of coming from that mindset of, you know, this whole thing is currently built around myself as a brand, which is great. But then without me, it kind of fails. So he wanted to essentially scale up going from B2C business to consumer to then going to B2B, business to business. So now he's essentially doing what he was doing for himself with Keenan Online, but now trying to do it for other people as well. So pretty much essentially anyone can have their own online resource or that they can promote to people. And then he's looking at, you know, adding a feature on Jiu-Jitsu X as well to do kind of like the same thing, maybe not like a a one-off instructional purchase, but having like subscription features on there where people can do like daily uploads if they want. And as with any business, you know, a lot of missteps at every corner, just because we're in kind of in like a niche nuanced space that not a ton of people have gone through before. And so there's a lot Mm -hmm. of just like figuring out how to do stuff. We just essentially just try something and then just like anything else, kind of see where does that put us? What do we do right? What do we do wrong? And then take it like one step at a time from there. And then like as the business, as the businesses do better, then, you know, we bring on more people to, to help with the tasks and things like that. Now, going back to your jujitsu, can you tell us about the evolution of your game? 
Yeah, it's been quite a wild ride in my jiu-jitsu, I would say, coming from that original Japanese jiu-jitsu place and doing very basic stuff, which I feel like gave me a good outline, especially like a closed guard and half guard. I feel like very underutilized and underrated in modern jiu-jitsu. So just kind of starting off with that. And until very recently, I never really had like my game. I was diagnosed with ADHD as a kid, so maybe that was why, but I can never focus on one thing for too long, which is also mm-hmm. one of the many reasons why I love jujitsu is essentially I would just try anything and then I would do that for as long as I could until I can make it work. And then eventually when it stopped working because my training partners could start developing defenses or whatever, then I would just move on to something else, try to learn something completely random. So that was most of my jujitsu journey has just been mm-hmm. trying to learn overall as much as I could. But in the past few years or so, I've kind of started to focus gears and really focus on like building a game for myself, kind of like an an all encompassing from the stand up to the guard to the passing, no matter where I am, knowing where I am, how to be where I want to be. And so for me, those things have been kind of like mostly focusing on like the guard guards, like single leg X, X guards have been my primary focus on bottom just because I feel like those are probably in terms of like sweeping someone, those are probably the strongest positions, I would say. And then turning that into sweeping, getting on top, very like positional dominant space jujitsu, getting on top, looking at a lot of like pressure passing from like the headquarters position, doing like getting the headquarters, which is where you're like, you're on top and you like stuff someone's leg between your legs. It's called the headquarters because from there, the top person, you have so many different passing options you can choose from. You can go like knee cuts one way, side smash, folding pass the other way. There's like ways to get the three quarters mount. So you just have so many different options depending on what your partner is doing. And there's not a lot for them to do back towards you until they get out of the position. And then from there, just focusing and trying to get to like side control, mount, maintain and then finish from there is kind of the main priorities of my own game and yeah that, that's changed a lot over the years before i was kind of doing all this i was pretty much only doing lapel guard i would say like when i was a blue belt started training at autos shortly after started working for keenan from there pretty much all the things that i did were things that i learned while we were filming for keenan online and then eventually I came across like lapel guard. I started learning lapel guard from Keenan. And so my lapel guard got very good, but that was kind of all I had. And then I kind of realized through having like Andres as one of my coaches at Legion as as well, he said this so many times that lapel guard is really only good if like your guard without the lapel is good. And then mm-hmm. it kind of, he, he said that so many times, but it never really clicked for me until I realized I was like, oh yeah, just in general, my guard sucks. And I was like, if I got someone to lapel guard, then I was good. But if I didn't have a lapel, then I was pretty much screwed on bottom against like a really high level opponent. So once I made that like mental recognition in my mind, pretty much abandoned the lapel entirely and then just focused on more traditional, normal guards, daily heva, single leg X, collar sleeve, going back to, especially since like in my blue belt days, never really had like a a solid fundamental understanding of all these different positions. So kind of went to doing a bunch of random stuff, white through blue belt, then at blue belt started learning lapel guard. And that was kind of the only thing I was actually good at. And then to getting my purple belt, realizing at purple belt I started to do a little bit more passing that was when I first started to dabble into like the headquarters and the pressure passing and then at brown belt went back to like fundamental guard positioning and then learning how to how to connect those guard positions with my on top passing positions and so that's kind of been where my jiu-jitsu journey has been the, the past few years 
And so where do you want your game to go? Essentially, I just want to be as well-rounded as possible, kind of in this tricky dilemma in the sense that I feel like for competitive success to get like as much competitive success as early as possible, the best thing to do would probably be to just like specialize as soon as possible, figure out what you're good at, build a whole system, game around that. Mm -hmm. And then, but as an instructor, it's kind of the opposite. I kind of want to, from the instructor standpoint, while of course you do want to have, and everyone will naturally have positions that they're better at than others. As an instructor, I want to learn literally just as much jujitsu as possible so that I can then give that to the next generation. And so I kind of bounce between those two different phases, certain phases where I'm not necessarily trying to get anything that I know super technical or super high level, but I'm just trying to learn as much as possible. And then I'll go through phases where I shift that and I pretty much temporarily stop trying to learn new jujitsu, but then really just try to focus on sharpening all the jujitsu that I know. And so, yeah, the end goal was just to eventually be as well-rounded as possible. I've been working on my stand-up a little bit as well, mostly a guard puller. And most of my stand-up knowledge over the years has been just learning how to like not get taken down from the feet so that eventually I can pull guard as like a competitor. But eventually I want to, you know, be proficient in like judo style techniques, wrestling, no matter what guard I'm put in, I would like to be able to sweep or submit the person, no matter what guard is thrown at me, I want to have like an answer on top is like how to pass that situation. So yeah, that's kind of the end goal is to never stop training and learn as much as possible. You know, it struck me when you said uh, that you've pretty much ditched the lapel because uh, lapel guard, I know you're fantastic at it. And uh, Keenan is sort of spotted the same sort of uh, information as well. I shouldn't say spotted. That's, uh, that sounds disrespectful, but he's uh, he's communicated that he hasn't uh, really explored the lapel much anymore. And, um, you know, it was all the hotness for a while. And a lot of people are still really taking it even further to other levels now, too. And a lot of really high level people. And it's been executed at the highest levels also. Is it something that should come later or where do you feel it falls into someone's particular arsenal? Obviously, we're talking about the gi here. Your thoughts on lapel guard? Yeah, that's a great question. Essentially, I would say lapel guard, it's not necessarily more advanced than other jujitsu, but it's just a little bit different because now once you, once you start messing with lapel guard, you're learning how to control the fabric of the gi and, and the person through that. Versus a lot of other traditional guards, you're controlling an actual person themselves, you're controlling their body parts versus using the lapel. It just mm -hmm. provides different mechanics. So you can start learning lapel guard, I would say, as early as white belt, maybe not like from day one, maybe have like a few months of, you know, learning your break falls, forward rolls, backwards rolls, <laughs> first learning what even is like open guard versus closed guard. So after like a, a few minutes of, or a few months of training and you kind of have like a general idea of what jiu-jitsu even is, then you can start learning lapel guard. But the real key is to just not ignore learning like the other fundamental stuff. Because lapel, at the end of the day, the lapel is just a tool to help us either sweep the person, take their back, submit them. So, you know, it's, we don't want to play lapel guard just for the sake of paying playing lapel guard. So you kind of have to know when to like, when to use it, when to let go, to take advantage of something else that's like right in front of you, but maybe you're ignoring this opportunity because you want to play lapel guard so bad. So I would say as long as you can continue to focus on the fundamentals of jujitsu and like normal positions, then yeah, learning lapel guard 
isn't necessarily more advanced and you can start as early as white belt for sure. Back control. When you're on someone's back, do you believe in the notion of a strong side and a weak side? Um, A little bit. I would say normally when I take the back for maintaining position, I want to have my, so normally with, we would have like a seatbelt, right? So one arm over, one arm under. My arm that's over, I would want to fall so that side is on top just because I have an underhook on that side. And then I also want to have my head under my opponent's head. So my head between their head and the floor. And so I think this does make it a little bit easier to maintain the position if you go on that side, which you can maintain the position if you have your choking arm on bottom as well. But then it just, it makes it a little bit easier for them to like turn their hips and face you, I think. Yeah, I wouldn't say necessarily weak or strong. I would say that at the end of the day, it comes down to personal preference because you can definitely make both work. And I think the real important thing to understand is that there's just different attacks available and different ways that the person can try to escape depending on which side you're on. So as long as you're aware of those things and know what to do in each situation, then either side is fine, in my opinion. Yeah, it's just kind of a thought experiment I've been I've been thinking about lately because it I don't know if it's just lazy, an old school sort of idea or belief in a way. You know, you talk about American jujitsu and versus the old ways that we just use these terms like strong side, weak side without really deeply thinking about it. And having seen so many really strong quote unquote weak side players, there's a lot you can do from there. It seems like this strong side notion that you were illustrating was one such that it expedites a rear naked choke more versus the other side would maybe require more movement for perhaps an arm bar or something else. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly right. So essentially the kind of the key thing is like, especially being in the gi, you want to fall on that side with your choking hand on top. So that with a lot of the gi chokes, it's kind of, they're kind of hard to finish if after you get the grips, if you just like stay square behind your opponent. Normally for things like gi collar chokes, bow and arrow, once you get your grips, you kind of want to like move your hips and your body around the person to put yourself in a position where you don't have to just use your upper body to finish, but you're more so using your lower body to like extend the person into the choke. And so if you were on the quote unquote weak side, which is normally what I've heard when people have their choking hand on bottom, that kind of just kills your ability to move your hips around the person because they're kind of like laying on your leg. So normally in that case, then I go for more like rear naked choke style grips when we're on that side. But then in the gi, it's just, it's a little bit harder to do those style of chokes like rear naked where you, where you just get your hand underneath the chin because the gi gets in the way, there's like more friction and the people start like grabbing the material to pull your hand down. So it just requires a little bit more setup, I think, to make the rear naked choke as effective in the gi as it in no gi. But yeah, I, I think you're right. I think it's more of just like kind of like lazy teaching, not really putting into thought of it. People are just kind of regurgitating what was told to them as they were learning. But yeah, I don't, I don't think jujitsu is as black as white as saying like this side's the strong side, this side's the weak side. I think it's more <laughs> just about like knowing what you can do, knowing what they can do, and then making the appropriate decision based on those factors. Have any instructionals had a major impact on you? And if so, which ones? Yeah, there's a ton. Um, I'm so fortunate to have been in a position where I can learn from so many high-level 
jujitsu athletes. I think that's something we need to emphasize is that, like I mentioned earlier, Sunshine is what the primary uke for jujitsu X so, for a while. I mean, yeah. They get the elite of the elite in terms of uh, teaching these instructionals. So you've had not only that hands-on experience with them being there and doing it, but I'm also curious about maybe even before Jiu-Jitsu X also, uh, as well as Jiu-Jitsu X. For sure. And like one of the the first instances of that was when I first started learning from Keenan, especially being, there's kind of this thing in Jiu-Jitsu where for a very long time, all the highest level people were, you know, coming from Brazil to America to teach. And while they're phenomenal athletes, being a good athlete does not always mean you're a good teacher. And on top of that, even phenomenal athletes who are good teachers, there's kind of like a language barrier as well, where, you know, a lot of these high level athletes, English is not their first language. So, and that goes for like anybody when someone is teaching something as nuanced as jujitsu in a second language, there's just certain things that get lost. And so Keenan was probably the first like world-class level person who English was their first language that I started learning from. And so they're just pretty much every time in those beginning stages, every time we sat down to film and he was teaching something, even if it was something super basic as like an arm bar from closed guard, he would illustrate details that I had never heard before that would essentially be like the make it or break it aspect of the technique for it to work at a high level. So I just, I learned kind of like relearned a bunch of super basic things from him, but with those details to make them work at a high level. And so that was kind of the first instance of that. And then obviously getting even more access to that at Jiu-Jitsu X, there's been, I want to say one person who's made like a super huge impact, but there's like multiple people who have made big impacts on like certain areas of my game. For example, two really high level instructors, Danny Myra and Nick Salas, they own movement art jujitsu in New Jersey. They came and taught two courses with us. One was on the key master position, which is kind of a, a funky guard position. And then also they showed some sleeve based passing attacks. The main thing that connects all these different people that I've learned from is people who really highlight teaching like concepts and you hear this all the time, like focus on concepts, not techniques, but, you know, people who teach like not just what to do, but the the why you're doing it in the situation and how like different body positioning, like changes the position you're working on entirely. Like if this one little thing changes, that changes everything else. So really focusing on like the macro level of these positions. Teaching that way has also helped me learn how to learn more efficiently, essentially in general, because now for myself as well, I've realized like any technique is just an expression of a concept. And it's like any position you're in, you have a goal. So rather than think when you're in a position, like what technique should I do from here? Chances are there's multiple techniques that can do whatever it is you're trying to accomplish. So instead, I try to think about what is my goal from this position? And then once I understand what my goal is, like maybe I'm in half guard and the thing that's stopping me from passing is this person has a knee shield, but the technique may or may not work. So if I just understand that I need to pass this knee shield, I understand what makes a knee shield work, what it does. And then I focus on clearing that in different ways. Then it's like focusing on those like big picture things rather than like the minute details of any one particular technique has been the main difference for me. And then obviously having all these different instructors come out, I get to learn so many different concepts about pretty much um, stand up, passing, guard playing. It's been a lot to learn. 
I'm glad you brought up the micro and macro concept there. I, I remember when I was starting, I was trying to apply macro concepts, high-level concepts, or even concepts in general to jujitsu that didn't work for me, like at white belt or something like that. It seems like white belts need to, at least in my learning style, work on the micro things like put hand here, put hand there. And then as you progress up with time and go up the belt ranks... It seems like more conceptual stuff seems to make sense. Then you start thinking about those things much more. Would you agree or or does it vacillate? Yeah, a little bit. Just like with anything, certain concepts can be higher level or like in order for one concept to make sense, you may need to understand like a bunch of different other things before you even get to a place where this thing you're trying to learn is even relevant. So like one super simple concept that everyone should be trying to focus on as like a white belt beginner is to like not get pinned like with your back flat to your mat. If your back is flat to the mat and you get stuck there, you're going to have a hard time moving. So anytime you're on bottom, you start feeling like you're losing position. I always tell people to try to like get their arms in front of their chest, try to get to their side. That's like something super basic that can help a lot versus talking about like a higher level concept of off balancing a person to make them let go of a grip because you can't break it. You're not in a position to break it. You need them to let go. So figuring out ways to make them move so they want to let go, that is more of like a higher level concept. So I'll say it kind of goes both ways. Your IG content slash YouTube content it's is really high quality. I mean, I believe it's like jujitsu hex stuff. It looks how has that evolved and are you continuing on that? I mean, I know you got your channel sort of going now. Yeah, that's kind of a new thing for me as well. Now that I got to for me, getting my brown belt felt almost like turning 18. It was like hmm. kind of like an adult now. Not not fully quite yet, but it's like <laughs> on the horizon. It's like you really need to start thinking about your future right now. And so that's kind of like something I started to think about when I got my brown belt as well. Is like I can't just train and compete forever. You know, eventually I need to use the skills I've been developing to make money for myself. And so I've been the first step to that has just been trying to build a brand of myself, raise awareness. So that's where making the online content has started to come in. Just started with that, with like the YouTube, been making posts here and there for a while now on Instagram, but now just recently trying to get more consistent of posting things on Instagram to help raise awareness of myself, both as an athlete who can compete, but more importantly, as an instructor, someone who can, you know, articulate these ideas that I'm presenting in competition. And so, yeah, that's something that's super new for me, but it's exciting. Looking forward to see, seeing where it goes. Speaking of an offering, LaserGuard, you have an instructional called LaserGuard. What is it? Yeah, so I do have an instructional on the Laser Guard. The Laser Guard is essentially like the collar and sleeve guard. Instead of having a same side grip on the person's sleeve and like a cross grip on the person's collar, we have a cross grip on the sleeve and then a same side grip behind the person's triceps. So you have two grips on the person's arm versus having one on the arm, one on the collar. But then the rest of your body, the position plays very much like collar and sleeve. And this was a position that I first learned from Keenan many years ago as a blue belt. And it was like one of the first things I learned from him that I started to have like real world success in the gym playing against like higher level people. Because for me, when I tried to play collar and sleeve, especially like I started trying to learn how to play collar and sleeve in the competition training of Atos Jiu-Jitsu against, you know, world champions at every belt level. 
So it can be hard to learn how to first play a position <laughs> in those like kind that. of circumstances. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So pretty much every time I tried playing collar and sleeve, I just got my guard passed and beat up. I was really had, struggling, like keeping control of the person's posture and like separating their elbow from their knee to make the most common attacks from there, like omoplatas, triangles. I was like not making it work, but having this two-on-one control over the arm, it helped me really force that separation of the elbow and the knee, even though, mm-hmm. especially it's like, I'm not a small guy. I'm like, I'm a middleweight around 175, 180, but I'm not like, if you saw like a Gaussian distribution of like my athleticism, my physical attributes, I would say they're slightly above average, but not to the point where I can just like manhandle someone or the whole round and like get away with it. Yeah, I was really struggling, like breaking people's posture, separating the elbow from the knee. So this laser guard was just a way to kind of make that happen anyway, even though it was kind of like coming, overcoming my shortcomings from the position. So I could attack like triangles on the pot, things like that. And just in general, there's some more like conceptual stuff in there. Just learning how like when you control someone's cross sleeve and they can't touch you with that hand, it also makes it very hard for them to actually pin you down in a pass because there's like two phases of passing. There's like actually getting around the person's legs, getting to like side control, mount, north, south, whatever it is. But then I guess the high level opponent, then you have to worry about actually like keeping them there, pinning them to the mat. Because I'm sure everyone has rolled with like a high level person. Maybe you like get one up on them at one point, you get past their guard, but they just recover instantly and you weren't able to hold them down. So like <laughs> focusing on, on controlling that cross sleeve really opens up a lot of good like recovery opportunities opportunities as well when you feel like you're getting your guard passed. It's a really good mm-hmm. way to help you kind of escape some tricky situations. Sunshine, can you tell me a time that you wanted to quit and why? Yeah, sure. There was the closest I came to quitting was it was a very dark time in my life just because I had been I injured myself pretty bad lifting weights with poor form. I think I herniated a disc in my back. When that happened, like I couldn't train at all for like a few months. I couldn't train. And then also I couldn't work either. So I was like in a really tough spot. When the injury first happened, I was like stuck in bed for like a week. I couldn't couldn't even get out of bed because my back hurt so bad. And then after that, it took like months of self rehab to get to a position I could train again. But that was probably, I was like super broke, could barely afford to like keep myself alive out here in Southern California, super expensive. And then I couldn't even train or do anything. So it was like super depressing. And at that point, I almost like, my mom had told me pretty much like at any point of like, things didn't work out. She would figure out a way to like get me a plane ticket somehow so that I could fly back home if I ever needed to. And you know, that was a period where I thought about calling her up to cash that in because I was like, I've been here, been out here for for a few years at that point, you know, things weren't going so well for me. So I was like, you know, I tried, it's not working out, maybe I could go back home. But then when I really thought about it, I was like, even though things were like terrible for me. I was like, I still had more like try to give, I guess. And I knew that if I had given up at that point, later on down the road, when I was like looking back on my life, if I would have decided to give up at this point, like I knew I I would never have forgiven myself. So I just Mm. decided to suck it up, put in the work both, you know, in getting my finances straightened out to better support myself to survive out here. And also like the the physical therapy side of things, like getting myself back into shape, all that kind of good stuff. It, uh, you know, it wasn't easy, but it was worth it for sure. Sunshine, your thoughts on the future of uh, jujitsu? It's kind of hard to see where it's going to go 
now I'm at the point where I've just reached like a decade of grappling training for myself. And, you know, once you have been in a sport this long, you start to see like trends, you start to see you've been in the sport long enough to see when like the needles like moving in different directions. And so like, for instance, I never thought <laughs> no gi would mean be more popular than the gi, but here we are, my career is slowly dying. And uh, <laughs> well, it but, depends what you mean by popular. Yeah, it seems like from like the competitive sense, more like you're seeing like more like Nogi super fights and like the way people are making like the big bucks is more through like Nogi mm-hmm. professional events rather than like the traditional Gi bracketed tournaments. Yeah, so it's, it's hard to say where it'll be in the future, you know, especially since that transition of it moving to America and like the Western world, I feel like it's getting a lot more eyes on it. And so with more eyes, it's going to come like so many more people. It's going to bring so much money into the sport, hopefully over time as well. So the sky's the limit for the sport itself. You know, it's just growing so much in popularity. I think uh, there's a potential for it to be for it to be a really big sport one day, hopefully. You know, it's interesting that uh, you bring up the rise of Nogi. It seems like that's been happening for some time. I question, has it plateaued or not? Not from the competition scene, because that in the entertainment aspect of it and the prize money professional sportsman part of it. But from the academy perspective, it seems like the vast majorities are still Gi. Not everyone's going to become a professional. You know, uh, people still like playing pickup basketball and that you know, yeah. I wonder, I, I wonder if like, it's just like, there's a sort of a wave that people are thinking is bigger than, than it really is in one respect. Yeah. Excellent points. And like back to earlier, what I was talking about in terms of like trying to make the on-ramp for people who have never trained before as easy as possible. I think for some people seeing like the uniform that we wear, it looks kind of goofy to some people. And depending on what academy you go to, they'll like make you buy their geese upon sign up, which is like super expensive fees, like the costs and like the laundry add up. So I think for some people doing no gi from the get go can seem more appealing to them because even though I don't necessarily agree with the whole notion that gi is unrealistic for a street fight, no gi is more realistic. Most people seem to think that way. So the fact that like not having to buy as much gear not having to do as much laundry and it being more realistic. I think over time, we'll see more people get into Nogi, but you are right. It seems like even in Legion, we have a ton of people doing Nogi, some people only doing Nogi. I think the majority is still people training in the Gi. Yeah, I feel like the Gi really helps neutralize like athleticism, strength, things like that. Like having the Gi to like hold someone down that's personally why I like the gi more is I feel like it helps me use like intellect and strategy to counter someone else's more physical attributes. That's like a whole topic all in itself is when you're going against someone in jujitsu, you have to realize it's not your jujitsu versus their jujitsu. It's all of your attributes, which how good you are at jujitsu is just one of those attributes. So it's all of your attributes versus their attributes. And I feel like the gi really facilitates It's like a game that provides like strategy and rules and it makes it easier for less athletic people to win, in my personal opinion, versus in the no-gi, you know, when someone, especially 
if they're super athletic, super strong, it's really hard to hold them down. It's really hard to get out from underneath them if you're stuck on bottom, things like that. And the nogi rounds get more scrambly as well. So I feel like there's a potential risk of injury slightly more in nogi is, is how I feel. So I feel like because of those reasons, that's what's kind of keeping people in training the gi more. But yeah, it, it would definitely be interesting to see how things develop over the next few years or so. Can you share jujitsu practitioners that you admire past, present? Keenan, I admire for like his game. I've learned so much from him and just also like the way he thinks about jujitsu and like business aspect side of things as well. Dominique Bell is someone I've looked up to for a long time as well. Him, mm. him being a close friend of mine for mm. similar reasons, like a lot of what I do in jiu-jitsu also I've learned from him and kind of comes from my time training on the mats with him, but also his ability as well to like teach and he's super artistic. He's a really good artist. He like draws stuff mm. all the time and wow. with his online content, he's, he's really good at um, posting kind of like similar to the stuff that I post on like Instagram, YouTube. He's really good at creating stuff like that. So yeah, he's amazing. Um, Andres Bernofskis and Darren Connor DeAngelis. I would say the amalgamation of like all the things they do in jujitsu is kind of like my game, both on and off the mats. I would say that I was kind of try to emulate those guys as much as possible. So Sunshine, where can we get more information about you and everything that you're up to? Yeah, so you can find me on Instagram at sun underscore shine AJJ. And then I've also just started uploading YouTube content at Rise and Sunshine on YouTube. And that's where I'm at. I'd be remiss if uh, you know, I didn't ask, how'd you get the name Sunshine? Oh yeah. So I actually got that from my current training partner, Andres Bernowskis, back when we were at Atos. I was like a blue belt. Up until this time, I'd only had like Brazilian nick or Portuguese nicknames from instructors, like past instructor in South Carolina. He called me Abobra, which meant like pumpkin, so like pumpkin head. And then when I was training at Autos, Galvao was calling me Sonora, which meant carrot. And then eventually one day I was getting like a stripe on my blue belt. And then I guess it, it might've been a reference from Remember the Titans. Andres was just like, yeah, sunshine, let's go. And like, he started clapping and like everyone in class, like started laughing, clapping it up. And I thought sunshine, I thought it was like a super funny, catchy name. Cause my real name is Jonathan, which in my graduating high school class alone, there was like three or four of us. So super common name, but sunshine, not very common. Like everyone forgets my name is Jonathan. No one forgets my name is sunshine. So yeah, it came from Andres and then just stuck with it ever since. Well, everyone, I am your host, Adolfo Fronda. Thanks again for listening to Forever White Belt, watching and the whole thing. Again, please, you know, with the five stars and the thumbs up and the likes and the subscribes. And uh, thanks again, Sunshine. It was a really fun conversation. Thanks so much for your time, man. Awesome. Thank you.